with the Christmas season here, one of the pretty common in-house arguments uh, inside of the Christian world is really whether or not Christians, believe it or not, should celebrate Christmas. Uh, one of the, you know, one of the major points is that Christmas is commercialized. It's really not about Jesus. Uh, we say that it is, but it's just lip service, and that it's not a Christian holiday. And so, should Christians really be participating in it? You hear things said like Christmas should be every day of the year. And what I will say to that is that there's actually some pretty uh, rational arguments there that Christmas has certainly been commercialized. That uh, for most people, Christmas is really very little about Christ. And it's 95% everything else, and then you got to make sure that 5% you tuck Christ into it because you got to keep Christ in Christmas. And uh, I would argue that that's actually the way most Christians do Christmas. That said, I like Christmas. I love Christmas. We celebrate Christmas. We have Christmas tree up in the Emerson house, normally late October, early November. If my wife has her way, used to fight her on it. I was solid, like we're not doing it till after Thanksgiving. That's, that's just wrong. But there are some things that are not worth fighting over. And so my wife won that one. But here's, here's what I would say to those that resonate with what I just said. There's probably a few folks out there that are like, we've been screaming that for years. Here's why this pastor does not have the same problem. Because the real reason that Christ is not the center of Christmas in our culture has nothing to do with Christmas. The real reason that people aren't finding Christ during the Christmas season has nothing to do with the commercialization of Christmas. It's quite simple. People are not seeking Christ. And so I think we kind of get off into the weeds when we make these side arguments that really have nothing to do with the real reason that people don't find Christ in Christmas. Ultimately, they need to look themselves in the mirror and blame themselves for not finding Jesus. Finding God has never been hard. Coming to know Jesus has never been difficult. The path is simple. The path is defined. It's clear. And there's no confusion about how to have a full-on, real, life-changing experience meeting the Lord. And this morning, that's what I want to demonstrate. I want to preach to you about finding God this morning. And for our primary text, we're going to look at Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 13. I will ask that you stand as we honor together the reading of God's Word. Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 13 say, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You may be seated. What I have to say this morning is simple. 
And so I want to challenge especially those of you who fall into my category, those of us who have been serving the Lord for quite some time, those of us who have been on our Christian journey for a while, I want to challenge you this morning to to tune in. Do not miss what I'm about to say because you think you already know. We often don't know as much as we think we do. A couple of quick things before getting to my points that I just want to, I want to recognize in our passage. God says that He thinks of you. That is an awesome thought. God thinks of you. Specifically in our text, God is speaking about His people as a whole, the nation of Israel. And so we know that God thinks about His people. That's an awesome thought. I think about God a lot. My guess is most of you that showed up to church this morning, you also think about God a lot. But to think that God thinks about us. The text also tells us not only does He think about us, but that He longs to be found by us. You need to know that about God. God wants to be found by you. He's not hiding. God doesn't make Himself hard to approach. He is God and He is holy, so there is a certain way in which we must approach God, but God is not trying to keep Himself hidden from you. God longs that you find Him. And this is what makes true Christianity different from all other religions in the world. We have the God, the one true God, and He wants to be found by His followers in a very real relationship. It changes us when we come to know God. You will see as you study the Scriptures certain times where people encountered God, like Moses, for example, at the burning bush. And it would be that true encounter with God where His faith goes beyond knowing about God. His faith goes beyond Bible stories, history. His faith goes beyond, I know what I believe because God has said, to I know God because I have met with God and I have seen Him face to face. And so it changes us when we truly come to know Him. And I can't overstress how important that is that we know Him. And we see finally that He desires in our text, He desires to bless us with peace. I want to point out though, the very people that He's writing this to were not experiencing peace. In fact, when we read in verse 14, listen to where they were. This is the very next verse. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So we see that God promises them things can turn around. God promises them that when when they seek God with all their heart, with 
that, that they will find him, but we see that they are currently in captivity. Now, why? The answer is real simple. They quit seeking God. These people had turned away from God and had started worshiping false idols. Their religious leaders, their priests, had become wicked and were, uh, according to like, you look at verses like Ezekiel 34, and you will see these were some wicked priests who were getting wealthy off the poor, who were exploiting the, the church that they were supposed to be shepherding for their own personal gain. The nation had just turned from God. And so they were driven into exile. God said, if this is the way it's going to be, I'm going to lift my hand of protection. I'm going to lift my hand of blessing, and I'm going to drive you into exile. And there's, important, there's an important lesson here that it's not just about how we start. It's that we finish well. That to come to truly know God and the free pardon of sin, to have a true salvation experience, there is an initial period of seeking God. But we must continually seek God if we are going to continually live in God's favor and blessing. There are too many that have this great gap between what relationship in New Testament Christianity looks like when we read about it and what modern-day Christianity looks like. And we've come up with all sorts of excuses and reasons for it, but I'm going to tell you it's really pretty simple. I don't think that most people are seeking God continually like the New Testament church did. I think that we've at times even been sold a bill of goods, a lie. That all you got to do, say the prayer, go through the thing, get baptized, do whatever, make sure that you're a Christian, and then you just wait until heaven. And all of a sudden, we end up with very powerless Christian lives, powerless churches. We've got our religious services. We've got our religious talk. We've got our religious prayer. We've got our religious studies. We've got our religious everything. And yet, often we look around and there's just not really the touch of God upon it. And sometimes, if you're in certain circles, you're almost shamed into expecting God to move and do anything else. It's like you just got to believe by faith God's there. Where two or three are gathered, there He is. It's a terrible verse to point to. That verse literally has to do with discipline in the church. It's found in Matthew chapter 18. It's about discipline. It's a reference to the Old Testament truth that you need two or three witnesses. And, and that when, when it's time to discipline in the church, that God is there present with that when you do have two or three witnesses. The idea that people point to that is somehow proof that we just have to believe God's in our midst, even though it's like scraping frost off of the, the walls. You've got to believe God's in the midst, even though there's nothing really happening. No lives are being changed. God's not really moving. And, and you're almost shamed into expecting anything more. And this morning, I want to submit that it's time for many of us to get serious about seeking God. Now, why don't we? Why are we too busy to pray? Too busy to seek the Lord? What do we do 
And if you're here this morning, and, and you can be honest enough to say, listen, preacher, I know that I'm saved. I know it. But you talk about some similar experience that Moses had where, like, I feel like I ever really encountered God in a way that was personal and private, and it, I know that I know that I know that I know that I encountered God. No, that's never happened for me. Well, this morning, I want to demonstrate the simplicity of why that needs to happen and how it can happen. I'm going to share with you three very simple attributes of the man who finds God. Number one this morning, first point this morning, concerning the man or woman who finds God, he searches with hunger. You have to get hungry for the Lord. You have to grow weary of the powerlessness and exhausted. You know, there are a few things that will actually drive us to eat more than being exhausted. You get exhausted, and this is interesting enough. It's not the right reason to eat, but you get exhausted mentally where you are under mental stress, and a lot of people will still turn to food when they are exhausted. But you go through physical stress, and you will turn to food to kill the exhaustion. Spiritually speaking, folks, we have got to get to a place if you're really going to seek God with all of your heart, you've got to get tired of the powerlessness. There has to be a hunger inside of you that hungers and thirsts for righteousness, that hungers to see God, that hungers to know God, and that hungers to see God working through you. We can have religious services. I can preach sermons about God. We can teach lessons about God. We can sing about God. We can talk about God. We can study about God. And yet, not once ever truly be in the presence of God. We must hunger for Him. It needs to become your, what I would call your all-consuming passion. To know God. When I... When I meditate on what I'm teaching this morning, it's fascinating to me why it's not our all-consuming passion. And I mean that for me personally. I think it's odd that I can find myself so committed to everything else but knowing God. That's weird to me. That to think that God eternal God, the one true God, the Almighty, wants me to know Him, wants me to be with Him, wants me to learn to hear His voice, that somehow He could take like 7th or 8th or ninth or 10th priority on my list, like, well, I'll get to that after 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. That's, I, I don't understand, like, I really, I find myself confused at times, like, Joplin, how can you allow doing things for God to become more important to you than simply being with God. I kind of find myself like in the, the Mary and Martha story where it's like Martha wants to serve, 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 do, 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 and, and never take the time to stop and just spend time with the God she's doing things for. And I can find myself in that, on that rat wheel, folks, where it's like there's always something to do. 
There's always a fire to put out. There's always a sermon to study for. You know, there's always a, a person to pray for. There's always something to do for people, for God. And before I know it, it's like I can look at my own personal life and I can say, man, I've spent very little time in the last few weeks just sitting at the feet of Jesus, seeking his face, seeking to know him. And it's fascinating to me that we as a people could somehow have such little hunger, truly, for God. But you must become hungry. You must see that outside of knowing God, there is no real life. You need to have the attitude, I've got to find Him or die. Like, I've got that, that's it, I've got to seek Him until I find Him or die. But I would rather die than not see Him and know Him personally. We aren't hungry. And I think one of the reasons we're not hungry is because we're filled with junk. We are just constantly filled with junk. And all of a sudden we begin to crave what we're filling ourselves with regularly. And so we don't hunger and thirst for righteousness because we're just, we're full of all sorts of earthly junk. And we're satisfying our souls with everything else but God. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Spiritually speaking, brothers and sisters, there is nothing that will ever satisfy us except for hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You hunger and thirst for anything else and you will not be satisfied. Eventually, it fades, it passes. It's sort of like the, the idea that sin is fun for a season, and then it's not. You might find that anything, whether it's popularity or fame or success or, or wealth or substance abuse or uh, fulfilling your lustful desires, the list can go on and on. You might find that any of those things for a little bit of time satisfy, but then all of a sudden, they don't. The only thing that truly satisfies is hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 6. He said, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Clearly a reference to himself. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, you heard me say a few minutes ago, especially to those of us that have been doing this for a long time, put your antennas up this morning and guard yourself from the mindset of, oh, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Jesus said, whoever comes to him shall not hunger. And shall never thirst. Yet, how often do we as Christians find ourselves wanting something? Wanting when we hunger and we thirst. Let me, let me rephrase it this way. How many times do we as Christians feel like we're missing something? 
How many times do we as Christians look at our our lives and just feel like spiritually, honestly, there's something missing or there's there's purpose that's missing. There's something about me that's missing. There's something more. We're hungry and we're thirsty. Well, if we truly believe the Word of God, the answer to why we are hungering and thirsting is right before our face. We are not feasting on the bread of life. You might be serving the bread of life. You might be like me and have your entire life dedicated to serving the King of Kings. But serving Him is not the same thing as feasting on Him. As spending time to know Him. It's not the same. It's not bad, but it's just not the same. You have to understand that. And so when we're hungry and we're thirsty and we feel dry spiritually, the answer is always simple. We must have been hungering for the wrong thing, thirsting for the wrong thing, going after the wrong thing, and we need to repent of that and get back to seeking the Lord. This morning I ask, are you hungry for God? To know Him, to hear Him, to experience Him. What are you hungry for? Can you cry out like the psalmist did, my soul? soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Number one this morning, the man who finds God searches with hunger. Number two, he searches with seriousness. People don't seek with all their hearts because they don't think it's that important. They're not truly seeking with a sense of seriousness. Sometimes we even have the pessimistic attitude that, well, if God, you know, God, if you want to show yourself to me, go ahead. I would love that. And now we feel like we put it off on God. It's his job. I told him he could if he wanted, folks. And then we just kind of pessimistically go throughout our life without any real continual experiences with God. And then we want to blame God for it. I told him he could. Like God knows, you know, there's a, there's a welcome sign in my yard. If he wants to show up, he's welcome to. That's not how it works. It's not about God searching for you until you're willing to open the door. God said, you will find me when you seek for me. And you do it with all your heart. And there's got to be a degree of seriousness about it. A lot of times we just sort of give a, give a if we're honest, sometimes we give ourselves a little half-hearted attempt. Where we're not really seeking God with all of our hearts. There's not any seriousness about it. Ezra, according to Ezra, uh, chapter 7, verse 10, listen to what it says about Ezra. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. Ezra set his heart to seek the law of God. There's a decision to be made. There's There's a setting of the heart. This this core of who I am and the inner man. There has to be this setting of the heart that says, I will seek the Lord. It is who I will be. It will be at the very core of my being. I will be a God seeker. He set his heart. This morning, if I told you that one lucky person in this room, whoever finds it first, that I had taped a nickel Somewhere under one of these pews, and whoever finds it first gets to keep it. You can spend it on whatever you want. 
Christmas is coming up next week. How many of you would search for that nickel with seriousness? Not one. But if I told you that there was $100,000 in cash taped under one of these pews, and whoever found it first, it was yours. Would it change the way you sought for it? But many of us seek for God as if we were looking for that nickel. If we stumble upon it, great. Bonus. But if not, no big deal. There has to be a, a real degree of seriousness when we talk about finding God. Seeking the face of God. You'll find that the devil will bring interruptions into your life when you start seeking God with all your heart. The devil will do everything he can to divide your heart and try to, sort of like we talked, I talked about Christmas earlier, where we like, we try to fit Christ in there a little bit so that, you know, we're keeping Christ in Christmas. Uh, a lot of times that's actually what our Christianity is like when it comes to seeking God. We've got all these other things that are very important, and we just want to make sure, like, there's this little sliver of my life where I can appoint to that last week for five minutes on Tuesday at X amount of time, that, that there I was seeking God. And we're very divided in our overall pursuit of the Lord. Some people do not seek God ultimately because it's awkward. You've never really taken time to seek the face of God, to, 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 to ask God to reveal Himself to you, to, to expect some type of experience like where you seek God and you find Him. If you've never done that and you start, it can be a little bit awkward. Because what's not awkward is coming to church most of the time. People do it. We normally know what we're going to do. Once you come a couple of times, you get a good feeling for the flow of service. It's not actually awkward. It's not awkward often praying for meals. There's a lot of religious activities that are not awkward. But you decide that you're going to go by yourself into the prayer closet or wherever it is. You're going to go into the woods, and you're going to try to face God, just you and just Him. You'll get out there, and if you've never done it before, it's a little bit awkward. It's kind of like, well, what do I do now? And so a lot of people don't get serious about seeking God because they don't know how they feel like or, or it's awkward. But you've got to trust what God said. And I, I want to go back to what some of the things I said in the intro. God longs to be found. He does. And so you need to trust that when you push into that place where it's like, I'm going to spend some time seeking the face of God, trying to hear the voice of God. When I study the Word, I'm going to expect that God's going to speak to me through His Word when I go into prayer, I'm going to expect and I'm going to have a sense of consciousness that God is with me and he is listening to me because I know that he says he wants me to find him. He wants to be found. But it can be awkward if you've never done it before. Almost like meeting a new acquaintance for the first time. But if you're going to seek God with all your heart, you're going to have to get past the awkward state. You're going to have to set a time and a place where you come before God. Bare, open, listening, seeking. You've got to get into the Word. Not looking for a sermon, not looking for a history lesson, but, but looking for God's heart when you open up this book. We're often finding everything but God. But God said you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Nothing can be more urgent. 
In John 7, 37 verses, or John 7, verses 37 through 38, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow, pay attention to these words, rivers of living water. So Jesus says, if anyone thirsts and he comes to me and he drinks, that out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So I, 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 I want to point out that the will of God for each and every one of us, if any one, if for every one of us, the will of God is that we are so filled with Christ, so filled with the Holy Spirit, that it flows out of us like rivers of living water. Where are the rivers of living water? Now, I know there are some. I know people I can point to that I'm like, that person reminds me of this right here. This is, you know, the Holy Spirit is just constantly flowing out of this person. But I ask the question, is that person you? Can you say with a degree of, 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 of conviction in you that, there are rivers of living water that are flowing out of me. Where are the rivers of living water? These rivers only flow out of the man or the woman of God who's allowed God to reach deep into their soul and pour out that living water. Where is this man? Where is the woman? Now I know that God is a loving father. I know that God loves us, whether or not we're walking in this type of closeness to him. He still loves us, just like a father loves a son, just like a father loves a daughter. But folks, God is calling his people up higher. And, and I really believe as the heart of a father that, that as much as God loves us, I still believe that it breaks his heart when we don't desire and hunger for this because he's provided it he is something clearly that he wants for all of us and so he's provided it he's told us it's there he's promised that when we seek him we'll find him the lord jesus promised that when we drink of him that rivers of living water will flow out of our heart and so the promise is there the provision is there i cannot i just can't come up with any other conclusion that it must Grieve the heart of God when we are not walking in such a manner and when the rivers of living water are not flowing out of us. Yes, He loves you. But folks, He's calling us up higher. I think about what Moses said to God in Exodus 33. He said, show me your glory. And you know what God did? God said yes. <laughs> what an awesome thought. Moses said, show me your glory, and God answered. Seek God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and you'll find him. He who finds God searches with hunger, he searches with seriousness, and finally this morning he searches with resolve. You have to have the resolve, a refusal to quit, a refusal to accept powerlessness. You have to get... Tired, as I've said already, of the powerlessness. You have to grow to hate it. You have to refuse to accept it anymore. You've got to be willing to seek God and pursue God until He sends His power. 
One of the stories that comes to mind is when Jacob wrestled with God all night long. It's an interesting story biblically because Jacob did not get to the point that he wrestled with God until years of failure. I mean, he was a believer in God. God, he, he was part of the chosen line of Abraham. But it was years of Jacob trying to do it in his own way, in his own strength, in his own power, before he just got sick of it. And finally, he comes into contact with God. And, and when, you, when you read the story, it tells us that Jacob took a hold of him. It's such an interesting truth, because here's what we know. As he wrestled with God, you know, it, it's sort of like, you know, a, a dad wrestling with their two-year-old and pretending that they're getting thrown all over the room, right? Two-year-old thinks they're all powerful, they're jumping on them, doing wrestling moves, and dad's like, oh, oh. That's probably what it was like, right, when, when God was wrestling with Jacob. But something that's important to note is that when God chose to write it down for you and I, to understand it. What God said was that Jacob grabbed a hold of him. And that Jacob wrestled with him all night long. That's what God said about it. And it's what God longs for for each of us. That we are going to have a sense of resolve. That I'm going to do what it takes as long as it takes. To think when a man on earth gets a hold of God. That, that is powerful. Yes, God came to earth to get a hold of us. And yes, it's an awesome thing to think about when God gets a hold of a man. But think about it the other way around. When a man gets a hold of God, we need a hunger that won't quit, a hunger that won't let go. Not merely some hunger of many others, but the hunger of your soul. Our longing is just too weak. Jeremiah 29, 13, only those who seek Him with all their heart, those are the ones who find Him. When we hold nothing back from God, God's promise is He holds nothing back from us. What are you holding back from God this morning? Resolve is a rejected character trait in our time. We have become such a generation of, of quitters. We have even glorified quitting. It's all about, you know, doing whatever you want, when you want, how you want, and if you don't like it, then quit. But I'm going to tell you, it takes, it takes some resolve. It takes some resolve if you're going to find God. I... I think about a few stories in my own life. I'm going to close with something real practical this morning. There was a time in my life when I knew, because I had actually seen it, similar to Moses at the burning bush, um, I had seen God do something in, in, real, in, in the real world through a man that I did not know was possible. I was what you might call a classic Baptist. Believe God could do certain things. Never say God can't do anything, because with God all things are possible. But I just didn't believe He did. And then all of a sudden I watched Him do it. 
And then I woke up and realized I wasn't nearly as close to God as I thought I was. And that there was what I would call an entirely different realm of walking with God that I knew nothing about. And I was a Christian, born again, preaching, seeing people saved as I preached, watching God use me. And yet, there was still a, such, such a deeper place walking with God. I didn't know it existed. And for me, I set my heart out to seek God. And for me, like there's not timelines on this stuff. I'm just telling you Joplin Emerson's story. For me, it took almost two years. Two years. Two years of begging God, seeking God, studying the Word, doing everything I could because I knew I knew, what, I knew what happened was real. I knew it was God. It had changed my life. I, and I, I, I couldn't deny it anymore. And what I knew was I was not walking in that, in that vein of power. I was not walking in that closeness with God. And I hated it. I hated the thought that there was another realm, somewhere deeper for me to walk with God, and that I wasn't there. It bugged me. I hated everything about it. And I was going to do whatever it took. And I'm just telling you, for this preacher, it took two years. And I believe that there are times that God is testing us to see how serious our resolve is. I read a story of a man that went through something similar that I just described, that for seven years he sought God until he had his burning bush experience. Seven years. I'm lucky to get Christians to seek God for seven months. Because we want something quick. We want it easy. But there has to be a sense of resolve. The final thing I want to share um, is that this was a really difficult sermon for me to preach this morning. Because as I prepared it and I meditated on it, this is something I have just done a terrible job of in my life the last three months. And uh, it's not on purpose. It's unbelievable how quick everything else can become more important than really seeking God with all of our heart. And uh, through the years, I've thought to myself, how in the world, and I still feel the same way, by the way, but how in the world do preachers that are hypocrites get up and preach every week? I couldn't imagine it. Like, I'd be afraid God would strike me dead and make me have a heart attack in front of you all if I was not who I say I am, if I was doing something wrong, if I was some type of affair or doing something financially fraudulent or, like, I, I have such a terrifying fear of that. And this morning as I was preparing for this message, that same fear took me over as I thought, dude, you're the man. Like I feel like Nathan this morning preaching to David and I'm David. Like this has been me for the last three months. I lost my resolve. And I want to say again what I said twice already. To those of us that have been doing this a long time, 
there's a lesson in here for us. It takes work to continually seek God. There is no cruise control. There is no, oh, well, I've done that. I've read the Bible through five times, so I know all that there is to know. No need to read it anymore. If that's honestly your opinion, you've read it five times, but you've never actually understood it once. You need to read it again. And this time, maybe pray that you understand it for the first time in your life. But I was convicted this morning just thinking, this is the first time in my life that I can honestly point to where I had to get up and preach a message that was really directed at myself. And I haven't, I mean, nothing could matter more. Nothing can matter more. I prayed this morning. I knew that God's not angry with me. God, I, I didn't have a sense of condemnation. I didn't have this sense of, you know, I'm a failure and what a loser I am. But I still had this consciousness that, dude, this message, you, you are the bullseye in the middle of this target, Joplin. You haven't been seeking God. 80% of the time I've been in the Word, it's been preparing for messages and sermons. I haven't been praying like I should, just really getting away with God. I couldn't, I just, if I actually started to detail the, the minutes and, and the devotion, I, I'd just, I'd walk out of here embarrassed this morning. And so, anyways, there's some repenting in me. And my hope this morning is that we, as God's people, will see the importance of continually seeking Him. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not saved, this message certainly applies to you. If you're going to come to know Him, you've got to seek Him with all of your heart. And that's the reason so many people that aren't saved never get saved, because they're not really seeking God at all. You've got to seek Him with all of your heart, and the promise is you'll find Him. But brothers and sisters, the same promise is to us. And you'll find that what happens when you're not seeking God with all of your heart, we end up just kind of moving into a works-based Christianity where we're going, 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 and then it's dry, and it's, it's just not the same. And if you're there with me, I encourage you with me, don't get condemnation all over you this morning and get to the whole, oh, I'm a no-good, terrible, horrible Christian. Stop it. Stop it. Because my guess is most of you, just like me, wasn't on purpose. You didn't sit down, think to yourself, I'm going to quit seeking the face of God. Instead, I'm telling you, the devil wants to distract us. Instead, a thousand distractions come in place. A lot of them are very real fires that you had to address. And before you know it, you're just, you're just not disciplined with your seeking the Lord. I'm going to ask our worship team if you guys would come. I want to close with two quick verses. First of all, in Psalm 14, 2, it says, The Lord looks down from heaven of the children of, on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. We see that biblical understanding leads to seeking God. But notice the Lord looks down from heaven to see if there's any who are doing it. This morning, when God looks at you, what does he see? When God looks at us as a people, what does he see? Numbers 23, verse 19, last verse I'm going to read. It says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said it. 
and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? The Word of God teaches us that God never lies. He cannot lie because he's God. So if God has declared that you will find him when you seek with him with all your heart, folks, it's done. God has declared it. It is a thing you need to trust 100% with that and say, God, I believe your work. And I don't care if it takes two months or two years or seven years. I'm going to begin seeking you with all of my heart, Lord. And I'm going to seek you until you reveal yourself to me further. And when that happens, I'm going to continue seeking you. He waits to be wanted. He waits to be found. Go find him. Go find him with all your heart refuse to stop until you do.